Welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, most of this show today is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be dictated by you and uh, your emails, because there are a whole bunch of them, a whole bunch of emails and stuff that I've gotten over the last few weeks, many of them not directly tied to current events, and uh, thank God for that. And I haven't had a chance to answer a lot of them. So today, for my only show of the week, I want to really back away from some of the news and current events and everything, and just for today, uh, go through some of my emails and topics that you have brought up and um, and answer those. But first, the one topic I'll bring up myself, and I have just a, a few things to say about this. There's been a lot of discussion recently about vote by mail or um, mail-in voting or vote from home, as the Democrats have christened it. The Democrats want to push for mail-in voting and spend billions of dollars to fund it, and Trump is against the idea, and that's the that's basically the, the breakdown of the, the controversy here. The reason we're given for why we have to do vote by mail is that, of course, come November, the coronavirus is still going to exist, and uh, we don't want people going out to the polls and getting infected. That's the argument anyway. The reason that Trump gives for not wanting mail-in voting is that there's an opportunity for fraud because it'd be very difficult to protect the integrity of the voting process when people are doing it at home and mailing in the ballots. Now, a lot of states already had mail-in voting. That's a thing that already existed, but in many states, um, you can only do it under certain circumstances, like if you're elderly or disabled. And um, even the, the states that allow anyone to mail-in vote, you know, most people don't do that. Now, what we, we could be looking at a potential situation where you've got tens of millions of mail-in ballots. How do you keep track of everything and, uh, and as I said, protect the integrity of the voting process? Now, here's what I'll say about that. I also am against mail-in voting. Um, I'm against it in general though, even aside from the coronavirus or anything else. I don't like it. But my reason has very little to do with voter fraud. Yeah, that is a concern. Trump is right. But that's not the primary concern. I think when it comes to the integrity of the voting process and issues that have to do with voting, voter fraud is a much, much lesser concern than something else that I want to talk about. And it's also true, as others have argued, by the way, that um, the idea that voting will be significantly dangerous because of the coronavirus is totally absurd. Uh, I think we've established by now that you can leave your home and uh, you, you should be okay. You can go out and do things and still avoid being sick. You don't need to be locked away. In fact, you probably should not be. Not probably. You definitely should not be locked away. So it will be perfectly possible and really not that difficult to have people go to the polls in person and vote and not get or spread the coronavirus. Um, I mean, after all, it's not like people are going into the to the booth, you know, as groups, or at least they shouldn't be. So we're already socially distanced when we vote. So I'm not really sure I understand what the problem is. But aside from that, um, aside from fraud as well, and uh, and aside from the fact that this isn't even an issue, my problem is that voting shouldn't be that easy anyway. This all goes back to the fundamental flaw in the way that we think of and approach voting in modern culture. We see it as this sacred, universal right held by everyone, and so we have to make it as easy and painless and convenient as possible for people to do it. And any obstacle that's put in the way, any inconvenience that they suffer, any sacrifice that's required of them in order to do it is seen as depriving people of this right, or at least interfering with their ability to exercise it. Now, there are some problems here. Starting with this, voting is not a sacred universal right held by everyone. In fact, um, we 
don't treat it that way in this country even now, really. We don't let people under the 18, under the age of 18 vote. We don't let felons vote. We do obviously think that there should be some parameters put in place to determine who can vote. At least most people think that. Our founding fathers thought that there should be even more parameters. Now, of course, for a long time in this country, women couldn't vote, black people couldn't vote, and that needed to be fixed, and it was. That doesn't mean, however, that we should have to do away with all of the barriers and obstacles and parameters uh, that were put in place. So, yeah, you do away with the racial and gender-based obstacles, sure, but the original idea, only property owners vote. That is, only people with skin in the game, only contributing and competent members of society vote. That was good. That's how it should be. Take away all of the, the racial and gender elements of it, and the basic idea is a good one. Politicians, especially Democrats, though, want everyone to vote. They want to uh, make it as easy as possible for everybody to vote. They want to make it so that you almost literally don't have to raise a finger yourself, lift a finger to vote. If they could, they could, if they could come to your house and carry you to the polls like a baby, cradling you in their arms and, and humming lullabies the whole time, they would do that if they could. Why? Is it because they're just such huge fans of the democratic process? Uh, is it because they, they just really believe in, you know, having people involved? No, it's because they benefit by having uninformed, lazy, stupid, non-contributing people voting. Those people are their people, right? That's their constituency. They, they need those voters. They don't just want those votes. They need them. The voters um, they don't want, though, are informed, intelligent, mature. I mean, the kind of voters that would be willing to make a sacrifice, the kind of voters that will, uh, you know, it's so important them to, to, for them to participate that they'll carve out uh, some time on the actual day of voting and go to the polls and do it. Now, these Democrats, those are the voters they don't want. But they can't stop those people from voting. So instead, they drown out their votes in a flood of stupid. In a flood of, of lazy and stupid. That's why they want a big turnout. Big turnout means that a lot more than just the informed and interested and invested people came out. It was exactly what they want. And that's why, while everybody cheers for big turnouts, I, I hope for small ones, much smaller. Ideally, there would be, you know, 10 or 20 million people voting, tops. I mean, the really invested, the really informed, the really involved people. And if it was just them, America would transform for the better practically overnight in that scenario. Okay, we're going to take a pause here to check in with a new sponsor, very excited about Eero. You know, it's, it's, it's extremely frustrating, and I think we've all been there before. I know I've been there when your Wi-Fi is being slow and it takes forever to load, uh, especially for me where I, it's a combination of where I live and also what I do for a living that I need a fast internet connection, but I don't always have it. Until I got Eero. Eero is Wi-Fi for your, that your home deserves, blanketing your whole home with fast, reliable Wi-Fi. And not just inside, but outside. Too. I can go out to my back patio, and it's the same thing. Eero extends so you can enjoy the nicer weather and get work done from your desk, wherever you want to be, around, in or around your house. Eero will get there. Eero eliminates poor coverage, dead spots, and buffering. It'll have a consistently strong signal wherever you need it. Eero sets up in minutes. 
plugs right into your modem or uh, or router. You know, it's very easy to do. If I can do it, you can do it. It's a good, it's just a good, good, good way of looking at life in general. Um, Apple HomeKit users, Eero's got you covered as well with enhanced privacy and safety controls that give connected devices only the permissions they need to do what you want in your home and on the internet. So you get a lot of privacy there as well. Uh, it's just, it's great to have, and sometimes you don't even know what you're missing. Like you may not realize how slow your Wi-Fi is until you get Eero, and then you're going to see it. You're going to really see the difference. You can get yours fixed as soon as tomorrow. Go to Eero.com slash Walsh and enter code Walsh at checkout to get free next day shipping with your order. That's eero.com slash Walsh, code Walsh at checkout to get your Eero delivered with free next day shipping. You must use this URL to receive this offer. Again, it's eero.com slash Walsh, code Walsh. I have proposed before. I'm not the only person to propose it. You know, you have a basic sixth grade civics exam as a, as a, a requirement for voting. So if you were to just, I mean, take everything else out of it. If you were to require sixth grade civics exam, um, taxpayer, citizen, ID, and you have to show up to the poll on the day to vote. Leave all those five parameters, not very onerous at all. That would rule out the vast majority of the electorate. But the thing is, those are all the people we want to rule out. Right? Those are all the people that have no business voting in the first place. If you can't pass a sixth grade civics exam, you have no business voting in the first place. That's why I don't like mail-in voting. It just it makes it too easy. I think it should be a little bit more difficult. I think it should be harder to vote, not easier. Oh, but you're advocating voter suppression, Matt. Yeah, in a way, sure, I am. I, I am advocating voter suppression. I mean, the type of voters who can be suppressed because they're scared to go to the polls eight months after a virus came to America? Yes, those voters I want to suppress. I want to suppress them by forcing them to either make the sacrifice and take the risk and go or stay home. If somebody isn't willing to put in that minimal amount of skin in the game, then we don't need them. Don't want them. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's no hard feelings and, and, and no offense intended. If you're someone who wouldn't think it was worth it to go out and vote, that's fine. Godspeed. I don't judge you. That's perfectly fine. I'm not one of these people who says you're a, you're a bad American if you don't vote. Ah, tsk, tsk, you should vote. No. It's ridiculous. If you haven't been paying attention, if you don't care that much, if voting isn't really that important to you, that you wouldn't even leave your house to do it, um, then you... you and, and you decide not to vote, I don't judge you for that. In fact, not voting in that case is the patriotic thing because you are staying home rather than inflicting your ignorance on the rest of us, which I think is selfless and patriotic and it's the right thing. But I also think it should be forced. That if you're in that camp, you just shouldn't be allowed to vote in the first place or you should be forced to put in some effort. That's um, everything I've just said. Super scandalous these days. You know, you say this kind of stuff and people are like, how dare you? The, the idea that you would suggest that, that, that anybody should be prevented from voting is, is scandalous. I'm going to faint. I'm so offended by it. Um, that's only because we are such a stupid, we have become such a stupid country in many ways that we would find what I have just said scandalous. When this was originally the idea in the first place. This is how it's supposed to work. 
All right, let's, um, so there's that. Just thought I'd give Media Matters a little bit of fodder, and uh, that'll keep them busy for half a day or so. And now let's hear from uh, our friends at, at Honey. You know, it can be very daunting to search for coupons for online shopping. Uh, I've never been a great coupon I've never been a coupon clipper at all in person and online, you know, I, I, I'm not really into the coupons either, at least when I have to go and find them myself. But with Honey, it makes it easy, even for someone as dumb and lazy as myself. The coupons and savings come right to you. Honey is the free online shopping tool that saves you money online. Honey automatically finds the best, best promo codes and applies them to your cart. It's as easy as that. Um, imagine you're shopping one of your favorite sites, you know, Target, Best Buy, Macy's, whatever it is. Uh, when you check out, this little box drops down, and all you have to do is click apply coupons. That's it. Box, apply coupons. Wait a few seconds for it to scan every promo code on the internet, and you just watch the prices drop, and you're just saving money. The money's racking up while you're doing that. Honey has found over 18 million members, over $2 billion in savings. So if you want a piece of that pie, and uh, I would really recommend it because I've been using Honey. I've been telling you about Honey for months now. I've been using it, saved uh, I, I, I can't keep track of how much money I've saved. Uh, that's one of the good things. I'm not, you know, uh, I, I can't keep track of things. And so that's why I like Honey to just do it for me. Not using Honey is literally passing up free money. Why would you do that? It's free to use. It installs in just a few seconds. Plus, it's backed by PayPal. So you know that you can trust it. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash Walsh. That's joinhoney.com slash Walsh. We'll move on. And like I said, we're going to go to the, the mailbag. A lot of interesting questions. And let's go right to it. From Luke says, hi, Matt, love the show, blah, blah. Cutting to the chase, I'm dying to hear your take on James Fairbanks. Yes, James Fairbanks. So this is a fascinating case. Um, if uh, And I know I said we weren't going to be all beholden to current events, but I, I got to talk about this because it is very interesting. If you haven't heard, James Fairbanks is the name of a man in uh, Nebraska who confessed to killing a guy named Matteo Condolucci. Uh, and Fairbanks just walked into Condolucci's house, shot him in the head, killed him, right? Pretty clear cut, you would think. The wrinkle here is that Matteo was a convicted pedophile. So let me read from the District Herald on this. You need to hear all the details because, as I said, fascinating. Uh, here's what it says. The real-life Dexter was only caught because he wrote a lengthy letter to the media explaining why he did it and vowed to turn himself in as long as they published it. Fairbanks says that he had been, uh, uh, that he had seen Condolucci on the sex offender registry while he was looking at a house in the neighborhood. He was upset when he went to view the home and saw the pedophile outside looking at children. Condolucci, 64, was found dead in his home in Omaha, Nebraska on Saturday after being shot at his front door on Thursday. On Thursday, Fairbanks, 43, was charged with the uh, first degree murder and use of a deadly weapon to commit a felony. In a confession email about the crime, Fairbanks, a former Omaha public school employee, wrote that, quote, I've worked with kids for years who've been victimized, and I couldn't in good conscience allow him to do it to anyone else while I had the means to stop him. The letter was sent to the various media outlets anonymously and posted to a social media. Um, the mother of one of Condolucci's victims, Laura Smith, has even started a Facebook group to support Fairbanks. Her son, Anthony, took his own life after being sexually abused by the pedophile when he was five years old. Smith has spent years trying to get justice for her son, who died from an overdose in 2017. Um, okay, so that's that's the what what happened with that part. Let, let's let's go into the details of the pedos crimes because they they really do matter. In 1993, Smith had moved in with Condolucci, 
She made a run to the grocery store later, late one evening, and when she came home, she found her son violently crying in the bathroom. I knew something was instantly wrong, uh, Smith told the Daily Beast. Uh, she said that her, her son claimed he had wet the bed. Uh, my son has never wet the bed in his life. I ended up packing my stuff the next day, and when we were leaving, my son quietly said, Mommy, I got something I got to tell you, and I instantly knew. The child told her that Condolucci had touched his genitals and forced him to touch his while fully clothed. The child predator pleaded guilty to attempted lewd and lascivious content or lascivious assault upon a child in 1994 and was only sentenced to four years of probation and drug counseling. In 2007, Condolucci struck again and raped a 13-year-old girl. He was sentenced to five years in prison but released in just over two because of, quote, good behavior. Okay. So, um... That's at least two molested children, only two years in prison between the two cases. And we all know that there are many other victims aside from those. This man was molesting a five-year-old in 1994. His next conviction was 2017. What do we think he was doing in the intervening decade and a half? You know. Um, another important note here is that the pedo's own daughter says that her dad was a monster and children are safer now that he's gone. And she thinks that Fairbanks should only get probation for murdering her dad. So, um, so that's, that's the basic of it. What's my take on this? Right off the top, uh, I'm glad that the pedophile's dead. He deserved to die. Uh, he had it coming. Absolutely thrilled that, he, that he's dead. Thrilled by that. Um, no one on earth should shed a tear for this monstrosity, obviously. And it sounds like his own daughter isn't. What does that tell you? I mean, when you die and your own children call you a monster and say that the person who killed you shouldn't go to jail, I mean, that, that just, if we didn't already know it from his crimes, that, that, that confirms you as a, as a just top-of-the-line scumbag, right? Um, now, on the other hand, I also think that the courts can't explicitly condone vigilante killing. Um, they can't come out and say, hey, you know, it's okay to kill pedophiles, obviously. I mean, that would be anarchy. They, they can't say that. But if I were in charge, this man would not spend a day in jail. Not one single day. You know, I'd give him community service, probation, call it a day. And here's the way I look at it. You know, this is, this is a matter of justice, right? So what is justice in this case? What is justice for this man, for uh, Fairbanks? Well, the pedophile molested a five-year-old child, you know, a five-year-old. And I know that I don't need to explain why that's a horrible thing, but it's worth stopping to think about this just for a moment. Think about the mentality okay, of a man who looks at an innocent five-year-old child and sees in that child a thing, an object, to be used sexually. Think about the depths of evil, of just utter spiritual darkness and desolation required to see a five-year-old child like that and then to act on it. And so he does. He molests the boy, ruins the boy's life. Um, and then when he's, uh, what was it, 19, he, he dies of an overdose. That was a boy whose innocence needed to be protected. And instead, this piece of filth, this human garbage, this animal, took that innocence, took it. And even if the death didn't come, you know, for another 15 years, he took that boy's life too. He killed him. I mean, he murdered him. And yet he gets no jail time. No jail time. Probation. So let me ask you, if you can pay your debt to society for molesting a five-year-old by serving probation, 
then what debt does a person owe for killing the, mon- the molester who does that? That's the way I look at this. The pedo got no jail time for molesting a five-year-old, two years for raping a 13-year-old. So then what is killing that pedophile worth? Could it possibly be a greater crime than the molestations themselves? No way. I mean, to, for, for Fairbanks to get a harsher penalty than the pedophile himself got for preying upon two children, at least, would be a, a, a enormous miscarriage of justice. There's no way that we could call that justice. I don't, and I know people are uncomfortable with the idea of, you know, we got to punish vigilantism, but that cannot be, you cannot claim that that would be justice. I think justice here is looking at the pedo sentences and um, using that as your baseline. So if he got a total of two years and I'm the judge, I'm looking at that and I'm giving Fairbanks, I don't know, six months of probation. Or, you know, even half a day of community service. I'll have him go clean up uh, the side of a highway for, for you know, six hours on, on some uh, Tuesday. Then send him home so his uh, neighbors can throw him a party, have a barbecue. So that way, you know, you've technically convicted him. You, you haven't explicitly condoned vigilantism, but also you're being just and you're being fair. We should also highlight, I mean, it mentions it in the article, but according to Fairbanks, he says that the thing that ultimately got him to act was that he you know, was outside, and he, he talks about this in detail in his uh, in letter that he sent, and he posted on social media, which you can go read if you want to. Um, but he says he, he saw this guy outside in his driveway, just like staring down some children that were in the street playing. And so Fairbanks knew, okay, that this guy is going to continue to uh, victimize children. And the justice system had two cracks at him, did basically nothing. And so he decided, if I don't do something, he's going to continue to victimize kids. And so I'm going to do something. I'm, you know, that, that's courageous. I mean, that's heroic. What if, if you were in that position, and you didn't do what Fairbanks did, which most people would not. But if you didn't do what Fairbanks, it would it be would it be because you you know you, you think it, you you you'd think it's wrong to be a vigilante and and that's why you refrain, or would it be because you just be afraid of doing that and you don't want to throw your life away? My point is, the thing that would stop most of us from doing what Fairbanks did isn't because of ethical qualms, as much as we might claim. What really would stop us is just that we don't want to put ourselves in that situation. Now, before we go any further, I wanted to tell you about Ancestry DNA. I don't know if you've had a, if you've had a chance to do this yet, um, but if you haven't, you really got to give this a shot. You know, I've done this myself, and it's been really incredible to learn so much about your family history, learn where you came from, what your roots are, um, learn how you ended up the way you are, for better or worse, really. Now, you may be familiar with the major events and battles of World War II, but there are so many more stories to uncover. Uh, The skill and bravery of the Tuskegee Airmen, an all-African-American squad of fighter pilots, uh, the incredible women who trained to become pilots and mechanics. 
mean, all of these, all these many different stories, you know, and, and uh, if, you, if you pick up just a book on World War II and read it sometime, there's all these stories that they didn't tell you about in school. In honor of the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II, Ancestry has just released a U.S. draft card collection from World War II with over 36 million draft cards completed by fighting age men in the United States across the country during that time, whether they ended up serving or not. There's a great chance that you could find your relatives in that collection, and it can help you learn more about what their lives were like. And if you had a relative that served and, um, and sacrificed for us, it's, it's a great thing for you to know. Uncover your ancestors' personal details in our World War II U.S. draft card collection, which shows details like home address, physical description, and uh, so much more. I cannot recommend this enough. If you haven't done it, you're missing out. Ancestry.com. Discover your own untold stories and more. Head to my URL at Ancestry.com slash Matt to, discover, to start discovering your story today. That's Ancestry.com slash Matt. By the way, one other thing here. There is some precedent. Um, there have been cases like this through the years. Um, let me mention just one, one case of a, a dad. I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but there was a dad in the 80s, famous case. Um, his son was kidnapped and raped by his, the son's, I think it was his karate instructor. And they caught the rapist and they were bringing him, you know, they caught him in some other state. They brought him back on a plane to, to stand trial in, uh, in, in his home state. And the dad was, was waiting, and there's, there's video of this, very famous video. The dad was waiting at the airport with a gun for his son's rapist to show up. And as soon as his son's rapist walked by him and he was cuffed, you know, he was surrounded by cops, the dad turned around, shot him point blank in the temple, killed him. That dad um, did not spend, I don't think spend one day in prison. He had a suspended sentence in probation. Now, you know, I look at that and I think that's, that was the right move. I, I don't think that father should have went to jail. I completely understand why that father did what he did. And um, so I, I think it's a very similar situation. I think it should be treated the same way. And I bring up that case in the 80s because anyone who says, well, if we don't come down hard on this guy, it's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be anarchy and, and vigilantism everywhere. Well, this was a case like 35 years ago. And that the father faced basically no penalty legally. And have we been living in an anarchic hellscape ever since? No. All right, from Claire says, Matt, I'm a fan, but I've heard you speak many times about the show Breaking Bad, and you've given it very high praise. I finally took you up on your recommendation, and I have to say I was pretty surprised by the show and disappointed in you. I didn't expect the content to be as objectionable given that you as a Christian are recommending it, especially as someone who has criticized Hollywood so many times for the filth it puts out. I didn't think you would actually recommend that filth. Well, hi, Claire. Um, if you're going to call Breaking Bad filth, then I don't know what exactly to say to you. I never said the show was family friendly. I never said that it was PG. Um, you know, I never said it was something you'd find on the Disney Channel. And it is about a chemistry teacher who gets diagnosed with terminal cancer and then becomes a drug lord. Right? You, that's like in the synopsis of the show. So you, you had to know what you were getting yourself into. You, were you expecting Kirk Cameron to pop up? Um, the show is most certainly not filth. It is very poignant, absorbing, fascinating. It's a study of a man's descent into evil. Um, it by no means condones the evil or glamorizes it. See, that's what filth does. There is a lot of Hollywood filth, and I do talk about it. But the filthy stuff, the, the, the filth, 
The garbage is the stuff that glamorizes and condones what is degenerate, what is evil, what is perverse. There's a lot of stuff like that in Hollywood. Breaking Bad does not do that. Um, I, you know, if you watch Breaking Bad, I don't think you can come away from that saying, you know what, I really want to be a drug dealer. Yeah, quite the opposite. If you, if you had any thoughts of being a drug dealer, I think that something like Breaking Bad would very much dissuade you. So there's a lot of moral complexity to the show, which is exactly what you don't find in so much of the Christian entertainment, which, you know, I don't mean to make assumptions, but I'm assuming that's the kind of thing that you're, that's more your speed, which is fine. But I just don't, I, I don't think, it, you know, I would say Breaking Bad is far more edifying, even as a, you know, TV MA show with, with violence and, and drugs and cursing. I think it's far more edifying than watching like, you know, God's Not Dead or some thing like that. Um, you know, one scene that, and I've mentioned this before, and it's, like it's season three or four, so you probably didn't see it because you were storming off in a huff. Uh, before this happened, but there's one scene where Jesse, who's Walt, Walt's right-hand man, um, has just murdered somebody in cold blood at Walt's behest. And, you know, just just killed somebody. And now he's overcome with guilt and grief. But what he finds, and that happens like at the end of, I think it's season three, and then season four picks up, and, um, and you know, he's, he's, he's Jesse's guilt-ridden over this horrible thing that he's done. But what he finds is that things start working out for him a lot. And, you know, he's making a lot of money from the drugs and he gets away with the crime and life is good seemingly. But the fact that life is so good makes him even more guilty. And so he's dealing with this the entire season. There's a scene towards the end of the season, finally, where Jesse is at a support group, a a narcotics anonymous type of support group. And he launches into this monologue, um, partially sort of confessing to the murder in a roundabout way. But... You know, it's like a three or four minute monologue. And in, in the course of this monologue, he's, he's basically crying out to be punished. Crying out that he's a bad man. He's done horrible things. And, um, and he should be punished for it. And the fact that he isn't being punished makes him feel like life has no meaning and there's no purpose. It's, it's a tremendous scene and there's great moral depth to it. It's very, very much like the kind of thing you find in Dostoevsky. Like it's, it's very crime and punishment. And there's a book that you probably wouldn't like because it's brutal and violent at points. I mean, the book starts with um, the protagonist murdering an old lady, okay? But it's also a spiritual masterpiece and one of the best Christian works of fiction ever written, hands down. And there's only a few other competitors. And one other is written by Dostoevsky himself. So my point is, that scene in Breaking Bad and so many other scenes, are exactly the kind of thing you will not find in any Christian movie or any Hallmark show. They could never pull that off. Um, they could never manage those depths. You know, God's not dead. For example. Like they make an attempt at something like that with their, with their one of their. You know, they got a couple atheist characters in the show who are just who are total cartoons, just one dimensional just cartoons, not, not human beings you feel like you would meet in real life. And they make an attempt to show the kind of guilt and emptiness that you find um, in, from, from living a nihilistic life. They don't even come close to what a show like Breaking Bad is able to do. Um, but you rule all that out because it's not PG and it deals with serious things and there's death, and there's pain, and there's suffering, and there's evil, and not everything works out perfectly. 
which is like, you know, real life. I don't know. I, I feel like stories and the shows we watch should have something worthwhile to say about the actual world we live in. It's okay to have some escapism that's has got nothing to do with anything, but but um, the stuff that's really good and meaningful is going to have something to say about the the real world that we really live in. And uh, but you, I don't know you you uh, you rule that out, and all I, and that's your right. That's fine, but that doesn't make you a better Christian or me a worse one. And I'm not sure why you'd be disappointed that I have good taste. Anyway. Let's take a let's 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 take a, a sidestep here for a second. I want to tell you about ReadyWise. This is as good a time as any, uh, the best time of all, to really start thinking about if you have enough food to last you in the event of a real food emergency. Um, it's like having an insurance policy. You know, we have insurance for our homes and our cars, and we have life insurance. We have all different kinds of insurance. Well, what about food insurance? You know, that's that's something uh, maybe maybe we don't think about as much as we should. Our sponsor, Wise Company, recently changed their name to ReadyWise. Now is a better time than any to be prepared with long-term nutritional food options. Um, ReadyWise has many options like emergency meals, freeze-dried fruits and vegetables for convenient on-the-go nutrition, uh, new adventure meals for hiking and camping, other outdoor activities. ReadyWise meals are easy to prepare. All you got to do is add water, and they have a very long shelf life as well. Uh, and, and here's the great thing about it, and I've had it myself. I can attest to this. ReadyWise uses the finest ingredients and um, the latest food preparation technology to ensure optimal taste and freshness. So you're getting prepared and you know you have all that going for you, but there's no reason why you have to give up taste. I mean, there's no reason why it has to taste bad. And with ReadyWise, it definitely does not. This week, my listeners can get free shipping at readywise.com when entering Walsh at checkout or by calling 855-475-3089. ReadyWise has a 90-day, no-questions-asked return policy, so there's no risk taking the initiative to get yourself and your family prepared today. That's ReadyWise, R-E-A-D-Y-W-I-S-E.com. Promo code Walsh to get free shipping today. This is from Courtney. It says, hey there, Matt. I'm a big fan of your show. I watch every day. Here lately, my husband and I have had some difficult conversations about all of the government mandates, and there's one thing we just cannot come to an agreement on. There's a lot of talk about forced vaccinations and us being Christians, we want to do what is right in God's eyes. The issue is that my husband believes that it is the right thing to do to take the vaccines if the government mandates them because as Christians, the Bible mandates that we follow the laws of the land. I disagree with him knowing that I know, knowing what I know about Bill Gates and the vaccine industry. We have an almost two-year-old daughter and I believe that it is my God-given duty to protect my child. Should Christians comply with mandates like this or should we push back against a tyrannical government that wants us to force wants to force something like this on unwilling participants. Some advice is appreciated, given that the Bible doesn't directly address this particular issue. God bless. Okay, Courtney. By the way, I'm sniffling so much out of allergies. Just so you know, it's not coronavirus. It, it, this is a this is a tough time to have allergies, you know, uh, because people just people look at you like like you're like you have leprosy. Um, this is part of part of the burden that I carry. Uh, having the, having a case of the sniffles is a is a very significant cross that I carry. Anyway, Courtney. Um, so here's my take on this. I I don't think the government should should mandate it. I I think you'd be morally justified in resisting the mandate because I don't think the government should be in the position of forcing people to inject things into their bodies, just flat out. Period. Right. But. I also think that if you decide that it's best to take it and comply, that's fine too. I don't, I don't think you're a bad Christian either way. I think either approach is consistent with 
Christianity as long as you're following your conscience. I just don't, I don't think this is one of those things where we could say, well, if you're a Christian, this is what you should do with the coronavirus vaccine. I, you know, I, it's, it's, it's not one of those things that is um, necessarily a moral absolute. But here, here's, here's the rub, uh, I suppose. Follow your conscience and you are obliged to follow your conscience. God gave us a conscience to be an arbiter in these kinds of situations. Not the arbiter, okay? Not the final arbiter. I'm not saying we we have the final and ultimate say over what is right and wrong. But we are an arbiter. You know, our conscience is an arbiter and an important one that God gave us. Because it's right, not, not every issue that you're going to encounter are you going to be able to pick up the Bible and find chapter and verse? And, well, here's where it covers the coronavirus vaccine, right there. Uh, that's it's just not going to be the case. And so there are going to be plenty of, plenty of situations in life that you've encountered already, plenty of them, I'm sure, where you just have to think it over, uh, talk about it, pray about it, decide what, what's best for you and your family. This is one of those things. Uh, this is from James, says, Dear Matt, beards are ugly and yours is ugliest of all. You know what, James? I'm not even mad at you for that. I'm not mad because you are a babyface freak. And I don't, I don't mean that as an insult. Um, it's, just, it's just what you are scientifically. And babyface freaks are naturally envious. It's, it's part of your nature. And you see men of great testosterone and great hairiness you see in us something that you could never attain. And so you lash out because you're hurting. You're hurting. I get it. I understand that. I'm not mad at you for it. I'm not. I will pray for you. I will pray for you. You sniveling bastard. Um, Let's see. Where are we going to go? This is from Tim says, Matt, you guys are past your lockdown, but mine is still ongoing. I've been bored to death these last two months, wondering if you have some good ideas for beating boredom. I know you talk about fishing a lot, but there's no lakes nearby. I'm not really into it anyway. Uh, what else do you do when you have time to kill? Honestly, Tim, I don't, I don't know what that is. I don't know what boredom is. Um, I, I can't remember the last time I was bored. Maybe I was 12 is the last time I was bored. I, I, I don't know what it is to be bored, so I couldn't tell you how to beat it. Uh, I, I accept that there's no excuse to ever be bored. You know, it, it's easy for me to say right now because I got four kids. And so, you know, four young kids, they don't really allow for boredom in the house. But even if I didn't, I mean, I lived alone as an adult for half a decade and I don't remember ever being bored. I just can't, how, yeah, I know with the lockdown, there's not as much to do, but there's still, it, it's, you got an entire world, an entire life. I mean, there's so much, with every moment that you could do or try or think about even, um, or, or, you know, there's so many books to, there, there are way, way more books to read than there are hours in the day to read them. So, I mean, even that, I mean, you, you, you could set to your mind that for the next five years, with, with every extra moment you have, you're just going to read books. And that would be a very fruitful and fascinating way to spend your time. And there'd be no reason to be bored there either because you would never get through all of the most interesting books. You wouldn't even get close. So I just don't get it. 
I mean, even if you live for a million years, people, and, I, and I, hear, you're not, I don't mean to pick on you, but you hear this from, I, I hear this from adults all the time about how they get bored. If you lived for a million years, I would say there is no excuse to be bored, even in a million years. Considering how much there is to do as a human in the world. But considering we only live for like 85 years, tops, and you're getting bored? I don't get it. I don't get it. So how do you beat boredom? Just like do anything. Do if you're bored in a lockdown, then I assume you don't have kids. I'm just, that's an assumption I'm going to make. And if, if that assumption is correct, I mean, geez, man, like just do go, go anywhere, do anything. That, that's my suggestion. Um, let's see. Okay. Uh, this is from Vincent says, hi, Matt. Why do you think that religious liberty is good? It goes against Catholic doctrine because the only true faith is the Catholic faith. And so it's so it should be the only religion allowed. Now, granted, religious liberty is only allowed when it will cause public strife um, and unrest in a country. This is the case with the USA and so would not work with it. But as a Catholic, you should not be advocating for it. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but that's what it seems like. Okay, I'm trying to follow... Your logic here, Vincent, I, I think you, well, you are wrong. Um, there's, there's no reason at all why, there's, there's certainly nothing in Catholic doctrine, I assure you, that um, rules out or condemns religious liberty. Quite the opposite. Uh, so as a Catholic, you should certainly be in favor of religious liberty. Now, if what you're trying to say is, um, well, as a Catholic, then you believe that Catholicism is the one true faith, and so... Um, what good is it to give people the freedom to be in the wrong religion? I guess that's where you're going with it. But yes, as a Catholic, I believe that Catholicism is the one true faith. Of course, if I didn't, I wouldn't be Catholic. But I also believe that um, I believe in free will. And in order for a choice to have any meaning, you have to, you have to choose it. It has to actually be a choice. And so that's that's where freedom comes in. We have to give people the freedom. So, uh, you know, what's what's the alternative? You know, you could have like a theocracy and force everybody to be Catholic. But what good is that? They're forced to, it's, it's, it's not authentic. It's not chosen. You can't force it into their minds and their hearts. And even if you could, you shouldn't. I mean, God doesn't even do that. He could and he doesn't. Uh, God obviously believes in religious liberty. If, if God wanted to just force everyone to know the truth and believe it, he could, but he doesn't because we have free will. And so that, that I, I wouldn't be in favor of that. Now, I say that, I know this is a little confusing because I, of course, am a theocratic fascist. But as I've said before, for that part of it, as a theocratic fascist, it's more like, the concentrate more on the fascist end of that. Because when I'm dictator, you know, the theocracy part will kind of come and go according to my whims. I, I will just govern by my whims. So putting that aside, no, I don't really believe in a theocracy because for that reason. You, know, you, you have to be able to choose. And I think everybody should choose um, truth. But they have to choose it or otherwise it's, it has no meaning. But thanks for the question. And I think uh, I got through a whole stack of them here, so I think that's pretty good. 
we spent more time than I thought on the uh, James Fairbanks story, but that that is a, a, a very interesting story to uh, to follow. And thanks, everybody, for for sending in the emails. And again, if you become a Daily Wire member, you can have access to all the different mailbags, and you can uh, get a hold of us that way. That's going to be it for me for the week. Um, I will talk to you next week. Have a great week, everybody. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Danny D'Amico, and our audio is mixed by Robin Fenderson. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020. Joe Biden informs 40 million black Americans that if they support our president, they ain't black. Is Joe Biden a racist? Is Joe Biden a rapist? Democratic Representative Ilhan Omar says she believes the woman accusing Biden of sexual assault. But she's going to vote for Biden anyway. And President Trump accuses MSNBC's Joe Scarborough of murdering a staffer. Some heavy stuff to start the week. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.